Good to be back with everybody. Uh, if you have a Bible uh, on your tables, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 2. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 2, and I didn't look up the page. Some of you may have the Bible on your phone. Anybody have a Bible on your phone, your Bible app? Yeah, yeah. Kenny's got the Bible on his phone. That's fantastic. Um, I, I, I got the Bible app, and I, and I love it. It's, a, it's a very simple. It's free, and uh, so it's a good little app. Um, I'm old-fashioned. I like the book. But when I went to, uh, when I graduated from, I got my master's degree at uh, Reform Seminary back in May, and when at graduation, one of the professors at RTS stood to read the scriptures. And he pulled out his phone. <laughs> and I was a little taken aback by that. You know, an RTS professor is going to read the word off of his phone. But, you know, stone tablets, phone, Bible, whatever, you know, it all works. So, anyway, let me read Ephesians chapter 2 and then I'll open our time with prayer. Ephesians 2, I want to read through verse 7 of Ephesians 2. Uh, and as you know, what we're doing is I'm, I'm looking at Ephesians and looking at how it parallels or mirrors Colossians. And we're just going to look at one text from Colossians, one little brief text today. But um, Ephesians 2, 1 through 7. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this food. Thank you for your word. It comes to us in so many ways. Father, pray now that you would bring your word to bear upon our hearts and our minds, to show us who we are, to show us who we were, and to help us, Father, to give us strength to testify of what you have done for us in our lives through Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Most of you know me, um, but some of you might not know that for the past 26, almost 27 years, I've made my living washing cars. Um, in 1989, I was hired as the general manager of Fountain Car Wash and uh, later became the owner of Fountain Car Washes. And uh, at our peak, we had 45 employees. Um, I'm not sure how many are up there now, but uh, I sold the big car wash in January of last year. But at our peak, we had 45 employees, and most of them were between 16 and 21 years old. And for most of them, it was their first job. And so for most of them, we had to teach them how to say please and thank you and yes sir and yes ma'am and to pull their pants up. I mean we had to teach them all sorts of stuff and 
uh, it got to be comical when I went out of town and somebody said, you know, who are you, where are you from, and what do you do for a living? I would routinely say, I'm Chuck Duggan from Macon, Georgia, and I run a daycare for teenagers. Because that's sort of what I felt, that's what I felt like. Um, I, I, I've always said, or I've often said, that if I was going to commit a major crime, like murder, say, I would do it at the car wash because nobody would see anything. Two employees driving two separate vehicles. Boom. They bump into each other. I go to them. What happened? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Weren't you driving? Yes. What happened? I don't know. You know, they're not dead. They're just brain dead. Bill Cosby used to say that teenagers are all brain dead. They're just, they're just, they're not cogitating. They're not communicating. If any of you have had teenagers, when you've got it coming, I remember when you were brain dead. <laughs> I coached you in tennis. No, you weren't actually. You were, you were pretty good. But you know what I'm talking about. In fact, you worked for me. I remember that. You were one of our star employees. You didn't wreck the car. Good job. Good job. Um, my job at the car wash was to help these kids to understand that they're not dead. They are alive. Paul, in this passage of Scripture, reminds us as Christians, we're not dead. We're alive. Verse 1, he says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. You were, past tense. You were dead. Paul starts this letter to the saints in Ephesus. These are the Christians. And Paul's saying, you, Christians, were, past tense, dead. You who now have the position of being chosen by the Father, redeemed by the Son, and sealed by the Spirit. We saw that last week. You were dead. You weren't sick. You weren't dying. You weren't drowning. You weren't in just a bad place. You were dead. There's a parallel passage in Colossians 1.21 that says, You were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil things. Alienated from life. Separated from life. There was no life in you. Verse 2. And Paul says, When this was the case, you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. These sins you walked with, they were your companions. Gluttony, pride, self-pity, lust, covetousness, idolatry. All these things were sins that you walked with on a daily basis and they were your companions and your course was the course of this world. Your course was the same course that the rest of the world is on. Your course didn't look any different. Somebody would look at your life and say, okay, I see where you're at. I know where you're at. I know what's going on in your life. You're, you're right there with everybody else. There's no difference in you from anybody else. And your leader 
was the prince of the world, the spirit of disobedience that is in all of us in our dead state. And at this time, Paul goes on and says in verse 3, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul says we lived in the passions of our flesh. We had passions that flowed from the desires of the body and the mind, that were dead and not in any way alive to the things of God. The things of God were, were foolishness to us and made no sense because we were dead and had no sense of anything but the passions of our own sinful desires. Now, there are many people, many smart people, who disagree with this. And what they say is that the whole of the matter is the human will. In other words, it's all up to you. You decide. You make a choice. And they say that the state of man is not dead, but only sick like some of my old employees. Um, they needed to have an attitude adjustment. They needed to have some information given to them so that they could make a better decision. I have to tell you one story about one of my old employees. I'll call him Ralph. I don't think I ever had an employee named Ralph, so I think this fits. Ralph had a drinking problem. Um, not ever at work, but he would come in hungover, and you could tell he didn't feel well at all. Uh, he'd had a hard weekend, and he just looked rough on Monday mornings, and we had several conversations about that problem. Well, one, and Ralph was married. Uh, he was in his early 20s at the time, and, and, and Ralph came in one Monday morning, and he had this enormous goose egg on his forehead. I mean, big. It stuck out like a horn. It's like somebody had implanted a golf ball in his forehead. And I said, Ralph, what in the world happened to you? Ralph stuttered. He, he had a stuttering condition, but he stuttered, and he said, uh, Duggan, I, 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 you, you know I have, I have this drinking problem. I said, yeah, Ralph, you and I have talked about it a bunch. He said, well, Saturday, Saturday night, I, 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 I got drunk. I said, well, Ralph, did you fall? Did you, did you run into a wall? Did you, did you have an accident? What happened? And Ralph said, when I came home, my, 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 my wife, she, 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 she hit me. I said, she hit you? <laughs> what did she hit you with, Ralph? He said, she, 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 she hit me with, with, with a square point shovel. <laughs> True story. I said, oh, my gosh. <laughs> I had this image. <laughs> it's like a cartoon image, you know, bong. <laughs> And so I said, Ralph, what did you learn by that? He said, I, I ain't going to drink no more. <laughs> I said, that's good. <laughs> well, there's a lot of people that think that's what non-Christians need. Maybe not a square point shovel, but a Thompson chain reference Bible whacked them over the head, and they say, oh, I got it. And if, I just, if you could just give them enough information, they could make a better decision. Well, 
Martin Luther wrote a book a number of years ago, 400 years ago, 500 years ago now. Martin Luther wrote a book called The Bondage of the Will. And in that book, he wrote the whole book to counter this argument that it's all up to you. You just got to make a better decision. And so what Martin Luther did was take 380 different passages of Scripture in the Old Testament and the New Testament and built an argument that said, in summary, the will is not free. But it is captive, prisoner, and bond slave to the will of Satan. That's what he believed. The will in non-believers is not free, but it is captive, prisoner, and bond slave to the will of Satan. And he quotes 1 Corinthians 2.9, which says, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of a man to conceive the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. God's will, he says, is the only will that is free, and it is impossible for man in his state of bondage to conceive. You just can't even think of God's will. Jonathan Edwards, 200 years later, wrote the freedom of the will, which sounds completely opposite of the bondage of the will, but in reality it's not. He said that the problem is not with the will itself, since the will simply is the mind's choosing what the mind deems best. The problem The problem is with man's moral nature, he says, which is opposed to God and with the sinful motives that follow from that corrupt nature. Edwards said that the will is always free and we always choose what we judge best in a given situation. But as sinners in our dead state, we always judge wrongly. We think God undesirable and hence we always resist him and reject the gospel. So Luther says that the will is in bondage to only choose what is evil. Edward says that the will is free, but the condition of man is such that the choice to choose good over evil will never happen in dead men. James Boyce, who's uh, written a great commentary on Ephesians, says that the Apostle Paul would have liked Edward's assessment. Because, he says, while sinners are dead, they walk quite actively in sin. He is dead towards God, but he is alive towards all wickedness. He is dead towards God, but he is alive towards all wickedness. Are any of y'all fans, I bet not in this room, are any of y'all fans of the TV series The Walking Dead? One? Okay. Okay. It's hugely popular. It's been, how many years has that series been going on? Ten years? Long time. They're still filming up there in the Peachtree City, Fayetteville area, and that, I was up that way not too long ago. And uh, they said that that's a huge tourist thing. People come from all over the country to see where this TV show, The Walking Dead, has been filmed. I've seen it, and it's, you know... Eh. It's kind of gross, really. But a few years after that show came out, 
They filmed a movie at our car wash up here at Hardeman Avenue called The Crazy. Some of y'all are nodding your heads like you've seen this not-too-well-made movie. But it, it, it's not a bad movie, especially if you like zombies. But I got to be there while they were filming the movie and watch the makeup people do their makeup stuff to make these people up. And they're good. These makeup people are amazing. And they can really make somebody who's alive look very dead. And it was a little scary because you'd be coming around the corner and this person would be there. And they were rather frightening to see. But I thought a lot about this. That's what we were. We were dead people walking around. We were dead people walking around. But there's good news. Verses 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Two greatest words in the Bible to me. But God. God made us alive when we were dead. Greatest picture of this is in John 11. You know the story. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Jesus is in a town a little ways away. Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters, send word that Lazarus, Jesus' friend, is sick unto death. And Jesus waits three days, and Jesus says, Lazarus, our friend, is dead. Let's go to him. Jesus goes to him. It's now been three full days since Lazarus died. Mary and Martha meet Jesus on the road. Lord, if you had been here, our brother, your friend, would not have died. Jesus says, take me to the tomb. They go to the tomb. Jesus says, open it. And they say, Lord, he stinks. And I'm sure he did. He says, open the tomb. And when Jesus says in John eleven forty three, in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus did the only thing that he could do. He came out. He had been dead, but God made him alive. He stunk, but Jesus said in verse 44, Unbind him and let him go. When Lazarus walked out, his hands were crossed, probably across his chest. He was wrapped up in the grave clothes, and he probably couldn't walk very fast. He just sort of shuffled his way out and Jesus says unbind him and let him go that's what God has done for us we were dead in our sins but God has made us alive in Christ we're alive we're no longer dead in sin slaves to sin and to the devil no longer bound by the things in our lives that make us stink and make us miserable We're alive. And not only are we alive, but Paul goes on to say in verses 6 and 7, we are raised up with him and seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. We're not only raised up, we're not only made alive, but we are raised up, lifted high with Christ, and seated with him in heavenly places. Three things. When God made Jesus alive, 
He made us alive with him. When God raised Jesus up to heaven, he raised us up with him. And when God seated Jesus at his right hand in heaven, he seated us with him. That's where we are. That's where we who are in Christ are. And God did all this to show the immeasurable, immeasurable riches of his glory. You can't measure these riches. You can't measure what God has given to us. It's unmeasurable. We skipped over Ephesians 1, 18 and 19, but it says, Having the eyes of your hearts, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who have believed according to his great might? Who believe according to his great might. His immeasurable greatness of his power. The riches of his glorious inheritance. That's what we have been given and made to be a part of with Christ when God made us alive. Well, this past weekend, we had an apologetics conference here at the church with Dr. Bill Davis, who's a professor of philosophy at Covenant College. And he said, apologetics is not just defending the faith or giving good arguments for what it is that you believe. That's not what apologetics is. He says, apologetics is making spiritual reality more visible to earthly eyes. Apologetics is making spiritual reality more visible to earthly eyes. He said 95% of apologetics is testimony and 5% boldness. It is telling your story. If you are living a life that exalts Jesus, people will be so confused by you, they'll ask you what's going on. Then you can tell them your story. You can tell them how you once were lost, but now you're found. You can tell them how you were once blind, but now you see. And you can tell them how you were once dead, but God made you alive in Christ. So here's a question. If you are a believer in Christ, are you living a life that demonstrates you have been made alive? Are you living in a way that When the world looks at you, it says, you must have a treasure that I don't have. Money makes me do this, and sex makes me do this, and possessions make me do this, and you don't look that way. Are you ready to tell the story of how God made you alive in Christ? If, on the other hand, You have not yet believed in Christ and the work of Jesus Christ. And you're looking at your life and saying, there has got to be something more. There's got to be more than what I'm living now. Then look to Christ and pray that he would open the eyes of your heart to see his amazing love for you. And ask Jesus to make you alive in him. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. He says, all who come to me, I will in no wise cast out. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, 
Though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who believes in me shall never die. Come to Jesus and live. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for this time and for your word and for the wonder of regeneration. That we who were once dead in our trespasses and sins and living and walking according to the course of this world, you have set on a new course by making us alive in Christ. Father, thank you for that great and wonderful, immeasurable grace that we do not deserve, none of us. Father, give us boldness to tell our story. Help us to live a life in such a way that people see Christ in us because we're alive. And Father, as we go from this place, may all that we do and say be for the glory and praise of our precious Savior. And it's in Jesus' name I ask it. Amen.